before I forget. You wanna die tonight? Hypochondriac with asthma is in there. I just lose all sense of equilibrium and I don't know what's happening. I'm gonna say 9 out of 10. Always enjoy watching it every time. Windmills were fire hazardous. He literally used the paycheck to pay for a house, that's all it was for. Meeting someone for the first time, you wouldn't be talking like that. Because he was so stoned, he'd like half fallen asleep. You and Tasha are meant to be, I'll figure that shit out. <laughs> I just got fired yesterday, I'm free. I swear to God, I was taking a look at <laughs> your asshole. Hello and welcome to the You Run Podcast. My name is Mark and welcome back to the second episode of Season 6. If you are unfamiliar with the show we, and this is your first time listening, then we are a weekly horror movie review show run and controlled by you, the listeners. As mentioned on the previous episode, I'm usually joined by showrunner and the face of all things you run podcast, Scott. However, Scott is still away on his holiday, leaving me to stay this ship once again in his absence. Although not quite exactly, I've called him back up and who better than this horror review girl herself. Welcome back to the show, Elise. Hello, thank you so much for having me back. It's been so long. I'm so excited. <laughs> it is. It's been a while. It's been a while. This isn't your first rodeo, so you know how things work here. Um, when when was the last time you were on? I can't remember. Oh, it was it was Freddy versus Jason, but that was like I mean that was season five. That was one of the first episodes of season five, I think. Or it was, yeah, because yeah, we did the back to back, didn't we? We did the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, as a bonus, and then we was, did straight on with mm, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Well, so it has been a while. It has a been long a long time. while. This this season, I mean, no, we're on season six now, but season five, I think there was like 24, 25 episodes yeah. in that. It seemed to go yeah. on for a while before we, before we had Good any season, form of break. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to have gone well. It seemed to have gone well. So, obviously, before we get into the show, we usually do my recommended account of the week, but sticking with tradition, I'm going to try and delegate some responsibility to one of my guests. So, Elise, <laughs> what have you got for us this week? So the account that I want to recommend is um, Ghost Girl. So Ghost Girl, um, the actual uh, like tag is ghost.girl33. So she's a horror movie reviewer. Um, and the reason that I'm recommending her is just because if I'm ever looking for a recommendation, there's two accounts to go to. And one of them is yours, another one is hers. So she just, I really like, she's very honest. It can be quite difficult, as you know, sometimes when you're reviewing movies, especially ones that people rave about you're a bit scared to rock the boat sometimes and like people get a bit upset about things in the comments but she's very honest um her reviews are short and sweet I like that um and she kind of like she does a lot of new releases you know and also some hidden gems so I found quite a lot of decent movies from her account so definitely great account to follow if you don't you should definitely go and do that now I think I do, but Instagram does this weird thing where it only ever shows me like consecutively like ten accounts, and that's it. That's all I ever get on my newsfeed. I must have I'm a follower of like fifteen hundred people, but I only ever see three every time I log in. Yeah, I find my Instagram home feed very frustrating actually because I I just you know I'll I'll see a post eventually, and I'm like this is from like weeks ago. Why am I just seeing it? I find it really annoying. Like I don't know if it's the algorithm thing, but Instagram's been difficult for a long time now i think yeah they definitely definitely need to get their uh, algorithm sorted out because it's been a pain yes i mean i haven't posted anything in months it's been like infuriating with um mm. interaction oh, yeah. and everything so i need to i do need to dive back into also. it yeah it's just frustrating isn't it when you put effort in and you get nothing mm-hmm. back because of instagram's cannon fodder as usual but anyway yeah. i digress <laughs> we will dive into this week's movie <clears throat> So this week, a woman discovers a newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law. She starts killing for him in order to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he has escaped their sadistic underworld. 
Hold on to your whips and chains as this week we are heading into Clive Barker's leather-clad world for his first directorial debut, Hellraiser. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. As I said, this is Hellraiser this week. Elise, have you seen this film before? Is this your first time watching it? No, that was my first time watching it. Um, I I actually tried to watch it before, like not recently. It was in the last, at least the last year, I tried to watch it, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Turned it off. <laughs> Never intended to go back to it until you said it's what we were reviewing. So I thought should probably watch it then. Nope, definitely a first, definitely a first, uh, first watch for me. Yeah, the first 20 minutes are uh, a difficult, oh. difficult sit through if you're not quite sure what you're getting yourself in for. I can imagine it uh, threw you for a little bit of a left field with that one. But, um... It took me a long time to get, like, and I'm not, I tried to watch the first 20 minutes so many times and I had to keep rewinding it because I just was not paying attention and I had to actually completely go away and come back. I was like, oh, it's so difficult to get through the start. <laughs> uh, brilliant. <laughs> Well, we'll start off with our run-through as normal. So the film opens up with a slow roll in black and white credit intro, and we hear the incredible Christopher Young composed Hellraiser theme. Um, already off the bat, I love this. I'm going to put it out, throw it out there now. I think this is one of the best, if not the best, aside from John Carpenter's composure in Halloween, horror, horror themes out there. I love Hellraiser. I think it's very underrated. I can't even remember it. Oh, it's like that real gothic sort of church. It's uh, Honestly, go back and check it out. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's, that's disappointing. That I thought you'd have been straight <laughs> on it and be like, "That was so cool." <laughs> I can't remember it at all. I'm just like, did they play music at the start? Okay, right. Okay. Well, clearly that less impactful opening that I thought it was has completely overdone us all. Uh, <clears throat> but then we're introduced to a man buying a puzzle box in a marketplace. Um, after this, we cut to the man sort of. Surrounded by candles in a weird loft space. I, ha- I have to say something about the box part because it's this is what. The, did you remember his fingernails? They were so dirty. That was like that's was, what I remember. Yeah. Oh, I was like, oh my god, do his fingers need to be that dirty? Is it relevant to the story? I was like, that's fucking disgusting. 
<laughs> yeah, so Clive Barker does a thing about he he seems to Ugh. focus quite a lot on the on the rank and revolting, especially throughout this film. As, as he, he picks up oh, on quite a lot God. of the dirty elements. I mean, that was it's gross, isn't it? I'm Ugh. I mean, I work in the construction trade, so usually throughout the day, my fingernails are minging like that. It's mm-hmm. disgusting. But like the first thing I do as soon as I get in is I'm scrubbing yeah. my hands. I was but just yeah, like, oh. I mean, it looks like he's on holiday abroad as well. So you would think that he would at least wash his fingers. Just wash your now. fucking hands, man. Like, <laughs> what relevance was that to the story? Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Frank's a rank man anyway, all around, to we'll be is. honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. I mean, while he's playing with his puzzle box in the loft, we can only assume that he's figured out how to open it as we see these sort of like bluey, whitey little sparks come out of the box and hooks sort of fly through the room into Frank's skin. Although we don't sort of see him die, we kind of see the aftermath of it as we see a couple of weird-looking beings walking around the room that have come to collect the puzzle box. And they sort of do that thing where they, they push the pieces of his face together like a puzzle. That was really, really cool. I don't know. Did you pick up on that? No, I didn't. I was just most, like, I felt like that bit went so quickly that I thought I'd missed something and I was like how the fuck is he dead like it was so confusing because I was like oh he's dead what happened why is there hooks everywhere <laughs> yeah he he dies he basically pulls apart by all the all the, yeah, all the hooks like, I, 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 I kind of got everywhere. that but it just confused like, me there's like pieces of his face on the floor, and then one of the one yeah. of the creatures sort of comes over and pushes them together to form a face. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, the practical effects in this are outstanding. There's there's no denying that. After this, we cut. We are introduced to Larry and Julia, and they arrive at Larry's mum's house, and they're planning to move into the house with Larry's daughter and Julia's stepdaughter, Kirsty. One thing I want to sort of dive into a little bit before we move on is heavy studio interference with this film because Clive Barker's an English writer, producer, director, all the rest of it. Um, This is an English production and was filmed in London with majority of English actors and cast barring Larry, Kirsty's dad and Kirsty herself. Everybody else was English. All of these, well, most of these characters barring Julia and the men of the night that she brings home are overdubbed in an American accent. Uh, this was done to appeal towards a sort of more American audience, but man, it just it fucking proper compromises everything. It makes it feel like such a soap opera when you're watching it, especially the first introductions to everybody, because uh, it feels so fake with the, the yeah. voice doesn't ma- marry up with the, with the people that are saying it. It was so confusing. It was so difficult to follow that bit. Like that whole, like you said, it was probably about 20 minutes in the end, but like, you know, when they're they're going into the house, and I don't know if I'm skipping ahead from what you were going to say, but it's when she goes upstairs and she's, like, thinking about them. But I, I just didn't really understand what was going on. I don't feel like they did enough to explain who everybody was yet. Like, when you jump into a scene like that, when the me as the viewer, I'm not really familiar with who's who yet. And then suddenly there's another guy. And I was just like, and, and Brother Frank. Is that what you said? Brother Frank. Bro- yeah. and Brother Frank. And I was like, so is he her yeah. brother? Is he, whose brother is he? Is he a brother? Like, I... Is he some sort of religious person? I'm yeah. just like, I'm, I'm so fucking confused. And then when she was like, the way she was thinking about it, I was like, is she having sex with him now? Or is she crazy? And she's just thinking about having sex with somebody. I was just like, I don't really fucking understand what's going on. And that scene was just so bizarre. The whole thing was I'll, so I'll be honest with you. I've seen this film numerous, numerous times. I've only recently revisited it maybe two or three years ago since seeing it as a kid. And 
my first initial take on it is exactly the same as yours. I spent the whole first watch as an adult being like, what the fuck's going on? I don't get who's who, what's what. I mean, obviously, I must be at least five or six watches in now. And, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you know, I ended up Googling, like, so I looked it up. I looked, you know, on Wikipedia, sometimes they actually give you the entire plot of a movie. So I read the first paragraph on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> but, shouldn't have to do that when you're watching a film. No. But I did like that Julia was like, uh, she's quite a badass, really, isn't she? She's like, the guys are like, oh, yeah, I could do a beer. And she's like, yeah, they're in the fridge. I was like, fuck yeah, Julia. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty cool. She is pretty cool. I do like Julia. She's, well, parts of Julia. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, she, yeah we'll, 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 we'll touch on that shortly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, obviously, we start to find out that Larry has a brother called Frank. Frank has been squatting in this property. Yes, dirty brother Frank has been squatting in this property. <laughs> and Julia finds some pornographic photos of the man um, who was obviously the guy purchased in the box earlier on. We also then get these series of really strange flashbacks that include Frank standing at the door introducing himself to Julia. Um, and as you've already mentioned, yes, he introduces himself as <laughs> brother Frank. <laughs> In the so weirdest weird. way you could ever why, have. Why wouldn't it just say, down room. I'm Larry's brother, Frank. Like, why would you say it like that? It's so weird. I, it's like... I don't know. I don't know. And I kind of feel like this is part of the problem with this film, with the American dubbing. I feel like mm. it was maybe delivered in a better way, in an English accent. But then I don't know whether it's just been taken differently across the board and they've, they've just read it as it's i don't know i don't know i can't help but feel like the dialogue's got completely mixed up along yeah. the way because quite bad for Ameri- a decent writer so i can't imagine yeah. that the dialogue would come across as intended um do americans really hate the english accent that much that they needed to do that like i don't know i think it was more just a case of trying to make it appeal to a wider audience um i think it felt I, I don't know i don't know i just think <laughs> This is the 80s. I don't know. I think they maybe just thought it would be more widely accepted if it was Americanized, which I get. And I said, I don't think it would have probably gone on to be as successful if it, as it was if they hadn't have done that. Oh, yeah. It's just very annoying now mm. to go back and watch it and look at it. Um, but in these flashbacks, we see that Frank has come come back to Larry's for the for the wedding of Julia and Larry and He's a dickhead, man. I mean, he seduces Julia straight away, and the pair of them have sex on her wedding dress that she's getting married to Larry in, in the very next day. I feel uh, like the threshold for cheating must have been very low. <laughs> yeah, either that or Larry's not doing his job. It's well. Something's amiss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but these, the, when we get these flashback scenes of the pair having intercourse, I'll say it politely for the listeners. And for those of you who aren't oversensitive, they were fucking... We also get the, the, an interwoven scene of, of Larry and the removal men pushing this mattress up the stairs. And you get the groaning and moaning of Larry pushing, pushing the mattress up the stairs while you have Frank pushing and moaning to yeah. Julia. It, it's weird. It's weird. It's yeah. really, really strange. What did you think to this? Uh, well, like I said, it just made me very confused. I think more than anything, I just didn't understand what the fuck was going on and also seemed like unnecessary noises for moving a couch <laughs> yeah you would think so you would think so wouldn't you it didn't look like they was and that he, heavy like, he like cuts his hand on a nail right and i'm like how how wouldn't you see that though 
Uh, it's brutal when he cuts his hand as well. Like, it really looks like it hurts. I mean, I work in construction, so I've done things like this in the past, and I could oh, see man. the nail sticking out. And as it was getting close to it, I was like, oh, no, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and Larry he cuts. Yeah, he cuts his hand straight up with a nail, and I'm like, oh, that's bad. And he runs straight upstairs to Julia, who Julia is. Don't sugarcoat it, she's about to come. Mid arousal, can we say? Yeah, yeah can we say mid arousal of a Frank? <laughs> And uh, he comes in and bursts in, saying he's going to faint and all the rest of it and spills blood all over the floor. Now, it's never really explained on how Larry's blood spilling on the floor revitalises Frank. Um, I know it's touched upon later on. I think Frank mentions it to say that the blood has brought him back and he needs more blood, obviously, to be able to rejuvenate himself. Mm. But it's it's never really explained. And to me, it always annoyed me. It always annoyed me that it was never touched upon why this drop of blood brought him back. I mean, was it a sibling thing? Was it because that was the place of where he died and fresh blood? I, mm. I could make up my own conclusions on what had happened, but I feel annoyed that, that it never it never properly fulfills it. That doesn't bother me so much, actually, because when that happened, no, I I mean, blood's life, isn't it? Like, I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, And that was when I was like, oh, okay, so his blood's made that thing come alive. That was when I started to actually be like, I'm starting to make sense of what's happening. So I think that's probably why it didn't bother me either. And then also how I was just like, well, blood's life. I guess that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll take that i'll take that it seems a good an explanation as any it's certainly <laughs> certainly a lot better than the one we get here one thing i will say though is the practical effects were used in in frank's rejuvenation is is second to none i thought this looked so cool and and it's only something as basic as a load of wax bones melted in reverse as far as mm-hmm. i can see but it, it just looked so cool i, I thought mm-hmm. it looked amazing as he starts coming back to life that was where, again, so, like, this is where it started to make sense. And I was like, oh, the practical practical effects actually look pretty good. And that was when I started to, like, hate it a bit less. Because I honestly did hate the start. I will use the word hate. But this is, this is the point where it turned around a bit for me. No, I get it. I get it. At this point, it, it, this is the point where I think it brings people in. Because I think yeah. if, you'd, if you'd have watched the first sort of 20 minutes, you'd have been going, who are these people? Why... Why are they talking in such a strange way? Why? Yeah. Why is it filmed like an episode of Neighbours? I don't understand who's who's who. Yeah. Well, that was exactly what my reactions were. So. <laughs> I can't see you. Your light's just gone completely I out. Know, All I can see is like a weird hand flailing I over turned, the screen. I turned every the light again. on and I was like, "Oh, that's too bright." <laughs> I don't like that. Can, can we have a little bit of light? Because I feel like I'm just looking at a strange, weird, weaving hand. It's, it's quite melting my mind. Give me two minutes. I can get you light. I can get you light. I'm still here. I'm still here, you. Yeah. It's all right. It's got to let it this bit out, don't worry. When will Mark learn when he says, I'll let it this bit out? I never, ever do. Would you prefer a dimmer light? Less, less vampiric? Yeah. Well, I do look a bit like a... I look more like a vampire just now than a normally do. <laughs> would you literally just sat in the dark by the way mm, yes I don't mind sitting in the dark that's it that'll do perfect there we go <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up but I can't man. see I can't see if you're like <laughs> Very there or what you, when you don't have someone's face you can't tell the reaction to I'm what here. you're talking about you're like right that's better that's much better Right, Scott will cut that out, don't worry, that's fine. <clears throat> Sorry, Scott. 
That's fine, at least I just left it in. It's absolutely cool. So later that evening, Julia abruptly leaves a, a sort of like family dinner party thing, which what I can assume is only like neighbours and guests that they've got. Weirdly enough, she hears somebody calling her name and decides to go into the loft room upstairs. She discovers half zombie melted Frank and a genuinely petrified Julia explains that uh, Julia hears from Frank that he needs help. He needs her. He needs her to bring him some victims so he can revitalize himself. <laughs> she gets on board so quick as well. She's just yeah. like, all right, who do you want me to murder then? Let's fucking go. I was like, she it's almost like he just sort of no, it's like he licked his lips, and she was like, "Oh yeah, you Ooh. are Frank. Definitely want some more thought, of this action." I've got a note here, right, that just says "gross finger licking," and I'm assuming that that is about this part. <laughs> does, does, I, uh, yeah, she licks his <laughs> bloody minging finger, right? Like his like bony, gross finger. Is that now? Is this later? Does she? <laughs> that, not, I don't know. I can't remember this bit. I've not explained myself. I've just written "gross finger licking," and it started to come back to me. I don't know if it was here. He had his like, he was like that turn. She was like, mm, I'll have some of that fucking skinless finger yum. And let's go some mur- murder some people. Like, okay, Julia. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. No, I can't, I can't say I know it's the, the weird finger licking. I'm definitely going to go back and check that though after yeah. this. <laughs> now, after this, we get a weird scene with Kirsty being walked on by boyfriend Steve. And not a real lot happens in this scene, other than her being strangely watched by a homeless man. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because this highlights the mistakes made by the production company by interfering and overdubbing in this. Because the two are engaging in a conversation where Kirsty explains to Steve something or other, and he responds to her in what was originally intended to be an English accent. And she mocks his English accent. as the same sort of way an American would go for a generic Mary Poppins style accent towards a British like, person. the English accent that I do, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, jolly good day, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And, <laughs> but because Steve's been overdubbed by an American accent and he's responding to no it in an American sense. voice, and it makes no fucking sense what the pair are talking about. And I'm there and I'm like, oh, this is just so fucking stupid. Like, at least Why go back and... Yeah, because the scene has no relevance to the rest of the plot either. So I'm like, I just don't understand why this was here, whether it was filler <laughs> or what. I can't even and remember it. Yeah, exactly. And it just makes no it just makes no sense whatsoever. So they should have definitely, definitely cut that scene or at least reshot it with the budget they had to be able to do that simple walking down the street scene. But it just it annoyed me looking back at it this time around. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to highlight it. But anyway, I digress. The very next day, Julia is looking very sassy and decides to go for a drink at a bar to seek a victim for Frank. I like the way that this first person that Julia brings back is... She's very much in two minds about whether or whether or not she should do this until this guy sort of makes a very... um, I'm just going to go there. Rapey sort of approach towards her and be like, oh, don't bring me back here and then not fulfil with your promise of, of, Mm. of sex. I mean, how would you respond if a guy <laughs> and a guy had to come at you with that kind of attitude? Would you deliver him to Frank? Yeah, yeah, probably. Although, <laughs> to be honest, I would probably wouldn't have like sucked Frank's horrible finger and been like, "Yeah, let's go murder people." I wouldn't have got to this creepy rapey stage. But if I had got to that creepy rapey stage, I would definitely have sacrificed him <laughs> to Frank. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bad man. He really is a bad man, and. 
this scene actually knocked me for six because they go up the stairs and immediately I was expecting Frank to just pounce out from behind some sort of dark, dingy corner, but he doesn't. And Julia picks up a hammer and she fully laces this guy across the side of the head, like brutally attacks this guy with a hammer. Julia has some issues, right? <laughs> like Julia is crazy. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, crazy. She is the I I think she's probably my favourite character in it though. I just thought she was so entertaining. Oh, she's fantastic. You should watch part two. She's she is part two. She basically is no, if Julia, no you should. If, you if really Julia's should. main stage, then I might I might consider it. <laughs> Julia is main stage in part two, and she is better than ever. Trust me, you need to go and watch part two. Okay. Again, we're going completely off topic talking about crazy Julia. But, right, so Julia leaves his corpse for Frank's to do whatever Frank decides he's going to do with them when they're there. When she returns, Frank's a lot more human than he was when she first goes in. Uh, kind of the, the kind of look you'd get from like an anatomical thing you'd see at school in like a textbook or something like that. He looked like this is played by a different actor, by the way. So Frank, oh. when he's yeah, so Frank, when he's sleazy EastEnders villain looking Frank, <laughs> yeah, EastEnders villain, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's played by a certain person, and then the other guy is basically, if you imagine the dude who's always in. Gilmore Torio films who does a skinny man who does like the fish suits and stuff yeah he's basically so like it... a really really skinny actor so that when they put prosthetic uh, makeups and stuff on yeah, him he looks it looks it looks like an average size that's so, cool I wouldn't have known that though I just assumed no, it was the same I, guy the whole time and that's what I mean I think they do a really good job of the way they build up his 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 prosthetics to make him look like EastEnders villain mm-hmm. Frank I think they do a good job of combining the two together when she goes in, she finds obviously Frank looking a little bit better. Frank explains to her that he leaves at least two more bodies in order to make him whole again. He then explains to her that the Cenobites are looking for him for escaping and that they need to get this sort of done quickly so they can get away before they come. It then cuts to Kirsty at her new job in a pet store where she, the homeless man who was stalking her earlier, not that I was going to mention that scene, but it, while he was there, this homeless man comes in and just casually starts eating crickets. Like, who just casually starts what eating the crickets, fuck? by the way? She didn't, she completely underreacted to that as well. She was just like, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Can you stop doing that? I'd be like, Get the fuck out, you fucking weirdo. What are you doing? I wouldn't just be like, uh, I, I would respond in the same Her- way. I would lose my shit. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Are you fucking crazy, what man? What the are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And she's just kind of like, Oh, like. <laughs> Her acting in that bit was fucking shocking. Actually, she was the weakest, in my opinion, of all the acting, but shocking. Shocking behaviour. Also, who the fuck (laughs) was that homeless guy? Who was he? Does he come back? back, He comes back in later on, yeah. That's why I'm kind of briefly touching on him. He does come back later on. I was just like, is that Frank? I'm really confused. I was like, who the fuck is that guy? What a creepy, creepy thing to happen. He does make a return later on, yeah. I can't believe how much she fucking underreacted to that. I don't know though. Is it her underacting, or is that just because she's no, so bad? She underreacted. Oh she yeah, underreacting. No, she underreacted. But yeah, it might have been her acting. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm just like you're not a fan at all, then are you? This character. <laughs> no, she just oh. some fucking guy comes into your pet shop and starts eating crickets. Like it was, it was like eating them aggressively towards her as well he was like mm, like oh, right they're all face. crawling through his yeah. beard and everything is well, weird and she and just she, she, like, hit... she did so much <laughs> steering where she should have been shouting i was like babes come on 
<laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> right. After this, Julia brings home another man for Frank, and he is now even more human. And he begins to explain to her that the puzzle box is sort of what opens the door for the pleasures of heaven or hell. And that Cenobites have emerged and give him this experience beyond limits of pain and pleasure. This is when we first get our glimpse of the Cenobites sort of in this flashback moments as he's explaining everything to Julia. As somebody who's never seen this film, what did you what did you think of these characters? Obviously, not when you see them at the end, but at this point now where you're thinking like, who the fuck are these weird erotic that, terminators? That's what I thought. Who the fuck are these weird <laughs> fucking things? So I thought, I mean, to be fair, Pinhead... Is this where you first see Pinhead? Because Pinhead this is cool. Yeah, you, you sort of see them briefly like, at the beginning, but this is where you really <laughs> see them in the flashbacks. I mean, they're only on for a couple of seconds, yeah. but you see them enough Pin, to Pinhead determine who they are. definitely looks significantly cooler than the other ones. The other ones, I was like, there was one that was like some fucking weird-looking slug thing, eh? I was like, what are you? Do you know what I'm talking about? The weird... Yeah, I know <laughs> what you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> fucking weird-looking slug. What were the sunglasses? I was just like, oh, fuck's that? That's not scary. That's just weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think the yeah, sunglasses do him any favours. I don't know what, like, so the, the pinhead was, like, creepy and cool. And there's one that looks similar to pinhead that was pretty cool. And then the slug thing was weird. I don't, yeah, I wasn't that into them, apart from, like, a couple were cool. But I was just still at this point wondering what the fuck was going on, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so we're about an hour into the film and you are still wondering what the fuck well, is going on I felt like I wondered what the fuck was going on for quite a lot of it to be honest <laughs> not as much as at the start but I mean I was I was enjoying it more whilst wondering what the fuck was going on at this point <laughs> right okay well hopefully we can try and clear things up for you in the next sort of run through or so I know see some of the things you're saying I'm like oh yeah it does happening. it does make sense the writing's really good in this if you pay attention obviously this is the first time I've actually paid attention because I've had to take notes but well this... yeah I mean it was difficult for me to pay so I probably could have done with paying a more attention but I found it hard <laughs> yeah I don't get me wrong like I said I've seen this numerous times and every time I've watched it it's this time that I've gone through and taken notes of everything as I've been going and I've rewound scenes and I've watched scenes again. I'm like, oh, that's important. This is yeah. this is the first time I've ever really been able to strategically put it together <laughs> in a consecutive <laughs> timeline. So, so I kind of know where we are with everything now. Um, so after we get these weird flashback scenes, Larry comes home from work. He's watching the boxing downstairs and he hears banging. He hears banging in the loft and he goes mm. up to check out what's going on. To try and prevent him from going into the loft, Julia seduces him into this this other bedroom. And whilst they're sort of canoodling on the bed, Canood- she's bed. she's like, no, 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 well, and he's just like, mm, you really want this, don't you, Julia? And she's like, no, no, I don't. I want it. He just keeps going. I was like, yeah, I have something to say about that because while they are canoodling on the bed, Frank emerges from in a wardrobe and he he leans over the two of them and cuts a rat. In half, oh, he puts his rat in half. What is that all about? Yeah, so he pulls out his weird little EastEnders villain switch knife, and he cuts his rat in half. And while he does it, Julia is screaming no, <laughs> and Larry's still going to town on her neck and licking and kissing, and like she's been saying no for about five minutes now. And and we're trying to portray Larry as being like the dad and the hero. Well, not necessarily the hero, but like the. The modern-day American suburban dad who everyone loves and, and cares for. But 
she has been saying no for a while now. He's <laughs> yeah. still there, necking yeah. on. Who was that not off-putting to him? I and why don't the fuck know. did he have a rat? And why did he do that? Like, I get that he probably was like, why are you having sex with Larry? But did he need to got a rat over them? And well, I, I think like he was maybe funny, looking right? for his final victim, wasn't he? He needs one more victim, so I'm assuming he was going to go and take, but do you take think, Larry. Like, I know that Larry was preoccupied, but do you not think that if you were like and being trying to be intimate with your wife, that you would probably sense somebody coming out of a wardrobe and cutting a knife at the bottom of the bed? Like, I'm sorry, but you you wouldn't just not notice that, especially if I'm just going to no. briefly explain to you that when a man is in that situation, <laughs> he is completely oblivious to everything else around yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> you can gut rats. Do you want... okay. Yeah, my house could fall down around me and I would not have a fucking clue. <laughs> if you're listening, Mark's wife. <laughs> if, you've got, if you've got a EastEnders villain in the wardrobe with a rat, like, he's never going to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have completely lost my train of thought now. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. We were, we were just talking about dead rats. We were. We were. Yes. Right. So the very next day, Frank demands that Julia finds him someone else. She's not willing to let Larry die. So she's basically saying, look, I'll bring you another gentleman caller home. And while she does this and she goes to pick that final guy home, Ashley sees, because Larry previously said to her when they'd gone out for dinner, he was like, oh, I'm a bit worried about Julia. She's not being herself. Can you... Can you kind of keep an eye on her? So Jul- Ashley goes around to the house to see if she's there. Um, I'm just getting real confused myself now. Hold on. And I'm not getting confused about the story. I'm getting confused about the name of the actress and the name of the character that I'm calling her. What's the name of the character? The daughter. Yeah. Um, don't know. She's called Kirsty, isn't she? She might be called Kirsty. Because <laughs> the, the actor, actress who plays her is Ashley. Or one of the two way around. I'm completely confused to which way around it is now. You've thrown me for six with sorry, with my, with my house right. falling down. <laughs> uh, Kirsty is the name of the character. Of course it is, right? And it's actually Lawrence who plays her. And yeah. my house is falling down around me. That is what's going yep. on. Yep, yep, yep. Apologies. Somebody, yeah. somebody may or may not be in crickets <laughs> in that situation. Also, apologies. Yeah. So Kirsty has basically been explained to by her dad Larry the night before that. He's worried about Julia, and can you go and keep an eye on her, see what's going on? So so Kirsty goes to the house. She goes to see if Julia's okay to find her coming home with a mystery man. Now, I'm not exactly sure what I would do in this situation, but Kirsty goes creeping into this house through the back door. What, what would you do? So say, say if this was the case for you, you was in this situation, <clears throat> how would you approach it? Would you, and, and you'd seen one of your, one of your parents who was, suggestedly having an affair and you find them going on with another man or a woman would you go in to try and actually see physical like, evidence or would you be no. satisfied seeing so what she, you've seen in the garden at, see when she's like and no i would have like gone over and been like the fuck you doing you cheating on my whatever whatever way around it is i'd be like you cheating you bitch like i would have called it out yeah but she like that could have been like uh anything they could have just been there to look she at the house she could have explained been... it then couldn't she I, I know that you go going charging over being like, yeah. hey, bitch. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, for sure. That would have Is made that not what you do? No, I don't think I would. <laughs> I was if just kind of trying to determine whether stalking. you'd have gone charging in the house or not. Not necessarily whether you just go start no, fighting people on the, the driveway. At, at the door, I'd be like, what the fuck's going on here then, Julia? 
Yeah, you're a very suspicious person. That's that's handy to know. I'm just up front. Like, I just need to, I, I wouldn't be able to, like, hold on to that. I just need to go and find out, like, what's going on. I need to know. Yeah, I don't know if I'm that curious, to be honest with you. I know I always say I push a lot of red buttons, but I think I'd be satisfied with my conclusion outside. Um, you'd be so like, what... oh, my God. I feel like they'd know in the bush because you'd be like, oh, my God. You'd, like, react. And she'd be like, Mark, what are you <laughs> yeah. doing in the bush watching me? Can he hear you? I'd give myself away immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Right, so... <laughs> Is it Ashley or Kirsty? Kirsty <laughs> goes into the loft. She goes into the loft to find a half-consumed man coming out of the doorway, only to discover creepy Uncle Frank, who says the weirdest line ever. He says, come to daddy. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Why would he say, come to daddy? Why would he say, come to daddy? And he says it in the weirdest way because it's overdubbed by this old American man who doesn't know how to speak <laughs> yeah. proper dialects. Well, I was like, so is he your dad then? Why, like, I was just like, is that why he just said that? Because otherwise it makes no sense. I just assumed, I, well, I didn't assume, but I thought maybe Larry's not our dad. Maybe Frank was our dad all along. No, I think he's just been weird and pervy. <laughs> he's just fucking weird. Yeah, he's a very strange, yeah, he's overly sexual man. And this is his niece. So, like, I don't know how else to put this, but Frank tries to put it on his niece a little bit. And he's sort of, like, leaning in. And at which point, Kirsty pushes him away i think she like grabs all his insides and like pulls on his on his internal organs and they all start gushing out which is pretty cool effect and as she does this frank sort of falls back and she finds the puzzle box on the floor frank is like no 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 don't touch that don't touch that to which point she's like oh well this is perfect so she throws it out the window definitely gonna touch that then yeah so she throws it out the window of the loft causing Frank to have a meltdown in which is a perfect excuse for her to escape. She runs out of the house and cleverly enough, she decides to pick it up on her way out. She sees it in the garden, she picks it up and she runs off. I really like how she handles this situation afterwards. Not that she handles it well because she handles it very poorly, but I feel like as somebody who is just seeing a half flesh zombie man mm. yeah, sucks kind the of life out of somebody. Yeah, he like sucks the life out of another man in front of her with zombie fingers. I would probably pass out in the street somewhere in a mess as well. And she does the same thing, which is, I like how it, how it did that. Instead of it just like going away and picking up a flamethrower and steaks <laughs> and garlic, she, she's immediately like in shock and it does a really good job of displaying that. Well, as we know, <laughs> Kirsty does underreact to things. <laughs> <laughs> I just completely scrolled halfway through my notes into their own place. Excuse me one moment. That's all right. Kirsty's got Kirsty gets the box and then goes to cafe. Yeah, I'm just getting weird flashbacks of creepy Uncle Frank again. We need to get past that point <laughs> one moment. You know what? A man that got some a rat over you is not a man you should trust. This is very true. <laughs> <laughs> That's good life advice. <laughs> <laughs> good life advice. Right, I'm back on track. Here we go. So waking up the next day in the hospital. The doctor returns the puzzle box to Kirsty in a way of sort of jogging her memory. He's quite hostile, this doctor. He's basically like, oh, well, if you're not going to talk to me, then you can talk to the police. I'm like, this girl has just passed out in shock in the street. I don't think you would react in this way if you were trying to treat a patient. I mean, you're a nurse. Do- if somebody came in into 80s. you, 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're a nurse. If somebody came into you who'd been passed out in the street and you found them collapsed, would you walk in and be like, you're going to talk to me or you talk to the police? Probably not. No. <laughs> to be fair, probably not. No. So he hands her this puzzle box and says, well, hopefully this will jog your memory. So Kirsty then is like locked in this room, like it's a psychiatric unit, and, and she's playing around the puzzle box and she starts to flick across it or however she does it. And it starts to, for some reason or other, this is another thing it never touches upon. When Frank's doing it earlier on, it's like a purple light, uh, like a bluey white light that flickers out of it. When Kirsty's doing it, it's like a pink, it seems like a lot nicer approach. She's smiling, she seems very happy, she seems very drawn into what she's doing. I suppose it's probably, like, who's holding the box probably has some sort of... Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot missing from this film that should be more explained than it is. Mm. I need to read the book, because obviously this is based on the novella Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, which is a short story in the same book. Well, it's it's, it's a short story in a book, so Candyman as well is in the same book as this. So so Candyman's a short story... Hellbound Heart is a hmm. short story, and these come from a novella, which I can't remember the name of the novella that they come from, but they're all written by Clive Barker, who directs this said film. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I just feel like they, they should have maybe explored a little bit more about this lore and the things that are happening, and, and this was one of the things that I thought, well, why is it a different colour because she's doing it? I don't know. It just infuriated me a little bit that I'm asking these questions and I never get the answers to them. Maybe you're doing the sequels, but I'm only so far through. And I'd hear a lot of bad things about after the point. Where How I'm many are there? There is 10, I think. And then there's a new one coming out in a few weeks. But this is I like a reimagine. There's a reimagining based on it's got a female pinhead and all the rest of it. So this is coming out very I shortly. I saw that. I saw yeah. that because people were pissed that there, it was going to be a female instead of a man. Yeah, which is annoying, really, because in the book, which the film is going, the new film is going to be based off, they 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 don't have any sexual orientation. They're just androgynous mm-hmm. beings. They don't basically have any male or female either way. They're just things. So it, mm-hmm. it, it it seems silly that people would get upset over something like that. But anyway, yeah. Kirsty manages to open the box, which opens a doorway into the labyrinth. I say the labyrinth like it explains what the labyrinth is. It doesn't at all. It's just a doorway <laughs> into a hospital. I only know that it's a labyrinth because I've seen a couple of the sequels, so I know where this goes. It's just a doorway. And would you go into this doorway if it just randomly opened in front of you? Yes, probably. You would? I think I probably would. I know that I shouldn't, but I don't know. I'm playing with a little mystical box, and there's like, if, I've, if I'm fucking stupid enough to be playing with that box and it's sparking and stuff, be like, well, Come this far, I might as well go and fucking see what's through the door then. Would you not? Yeah, after, you would. After seeing you, yeah, fuck it, yeah, I would, yeah. I, I, I'm dead already, anyway. I got over <laughs> Julia, I've already fucked. <laughs> yeah, Frank definitely killed me first. <laughs> 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 right, so, so Kirsty follows the screams of a young child into the labyrinth, and she is chased out by the weird piranha-looking creature, who is is known as the engineer, but again in this film we don't we don't know who this is or what this thing is. It just it chases her back out into reality. Um, while she's there, she sort of fiddles about with the box once more to try and close the doorway, and in doing so, she she welcomes in the Cenobites. Now, for those who aren't aware, the Cenobites are extra dimensional beings who are mutilated and brainwashed into torturing humans for all eternity 
they are keepers of the labyrinth and they are they were once human so they were human people who were once captured tortured and turned into these basically like prison guards is the best way to describe them so if you were to go to hell or anything like that then these were the kind of people who would summon you there and they would keep you prisoner in in hell they're the gatekeepers if you imagine that's that's what cenobites are now before we move on i want to play a little game oh fuck no 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 you like this game this is cool this is a quick game this isn't broken spirit don't worry i'm not going to do you like that (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a name for this game. Let's go something real simple. Cenobite or not Cenobite. Hopefully oh, okay. Scott, will, Scott will put like a really cool pinhead voiceover on this. Scott, if you're listening, <laughs> put a really cool pinhead voiceover on this because you do all the editing. Make me sound awesome. <laughs> Cenobite or not Cenobite. <laughs> I'll do it myself. That's fine. Just in yeah, case he tries to bug me you, up. Scott. We don't need you, Scott. Yeah. Just in case he tries to embarrass me in front of everyone, I'll do it myself. It's He's going to make it like a little Cenobites are not. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> right, it's time to play. Cenobites are not. I really brought my vocal cords doing that. <clears throat> right, so the game's simple. Okay. I'm going to list you off a name of Cenobites, and all you have to do is tell me if they are Cenobites or not Cenobites. Or- okay. Cenobites or not Cenobites. <laughs> I'm not doing it in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> you have to answer in that voice as well. Right. Are you ready? Yep, ready. Pinhead. Cenobite. That is a Cenobite. Yeah. Lockjaw. Not a Cenobite. That is not a Cenobite. Well done. The Chatterer. Not a Cenobite? The Chatterer is a Cenobite. Oh. He's the one in this film where his mouth's like... He's a weird one who puts his fingers in Ashley's mouth... Kirsty's mouth later on. Okay. Uh, next one, Butterball. Not a Cenobite. He is a Cenobite. He's the weird Fuck. one with the sunglasses. He's the weird one with the sunglasses. Yeah. That's his name, yeah. Butterball. Fucking... I think so. It's either Butterball or Butterbean. As you can tell, I put a lot of thought into this game. I'm sure it's Butterball. I might be wrong. Someone's going to come okay. at me and it's like, you fucking idiot. I love the Hellraiser franchise. It's Butterbean. How dare you? I think he looks stupid. He's got sunglasses on. It's fine. Yeah, well, I think he looks like a slug, so fuck it. <laughs> uh, right, the next one. CD. 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 No. That is actually a set of I'm like, no, these names three. are too ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, trust me. In part three... Pinhead goes into a nightclub and kills about a million people and he turns certain people within the club into Cenobites and one of them is the DJ and this DJ turns into a Cenobite called CD and he has loads of CDs in his head and fires CDs. It's fucking stupid, honestly. But yeah, CD. The next one, Mopleg. No. Are these all just going to be Cenobites? Is that a Cenobite? Mopleg. No, no. Mop, mop leg isn't. I tried to stumble you after the CD one. I do apologise. It's like, God, they're all getting so ridiculous. Maybe it is. I'm glad I said that. Like, right, the next one is camera head. <laughs> I want to say no, but I, like, I just I think I'm questioning reality now. Camera head. Yeah, okay, fuck it. Maybe he killed a journalist or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be camera for a head. <laughs> He actually has, yes. Camerahead is a thing as well. I don't know why he's called Camerahead, though, to be honest with you. He has a camera for a head, if you will. It's like one of his eyes is like a camera lens. 
and then he throws like Molotov cocktails. It's fucking strange, honestly. But he is, he is, he is what? The next one, Spike. Yeah, that sounds like the name of somebody that would torture somebody with spikes, perhaps. <laughs> Spike is, Spike is, well done, nice, correct. And Barbie. Yeah. Barbie is correct as well. Barbie is correct. And then finally, Ken. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> there isn't one called Ken, no. That would, <laughs> that would have been extremely silly to have a Barbie and a Ken, of course. You did all right, to be honest with you. The, considering how ridiculous all of those names are, yeah. I expect you to do a lot worse. <laughs> I was just going, no, no, no. I expected you to think things. I was just pulling your leg all the way through, if I'm honest. <laughs> At least there's none called Mopleg. That makes me feel a bit better. I'm, I, I feel like I've, I've based this game on the ones that I actually know. I wouldn't be surprised if there was one called Mopleg somewhere along the line. <laughs> Oh, God. If anyone listening knows if there's a mop leg or not, can you let us know, please? <laughs> right, moving on. Anyway, we finally get the Cenobites introductions, and we have Chatter, who is the one who puts his fingers in Kesty's mouth as he first comes in. We have Pinhead. We have Butter Bean, or Butter Ball, depending on which version of my notes is correct. <laughs> and we have the female Cenobite. Uh, she doesn't actually have a cool name. She is just literally known as the female Cenobite. And I just want to say as well, for those who start kicking off at me and being like, Pinhead's not called Pinhead. He's only called Pinhead in the later films. Yes. Pinhead is just called the lead Cenobite as well. Pinhead is a name that was adapted by the fans and then just randomly became canon. And he started getting credited as Pinhead as the films went on. I am aware of this fact. So please don't don't come at me. (laughs) Shut it. I love Pinhead in this film. I love I love um, his portrayal by Doug Bradley, his booming voice. He has some of the best one-liners in the space of two minutes you wouldn't believe. I mean, such as... The box, you opened it and we came. Explorers in the family regions of experience. Demons to solve angels to others. And then when Kirsty's crying, he's like... No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. I mean, these lines are incredible. Oh, I like that, yeah. I have They're to say, like, the, the other ones were just a bit of a joke to me, but he, like, Pinhead, or, uh, sorry, I guess, I don't think Pinhead was gendered, but um, Pinhead, like, was cool. The other ones Yeah, were, he's like, really good. I mean, I think the lady said about it's pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah, those two I were, just, like I said, yeah. Those two but, yeah, Butterbean, Butterball, yeah. and, and the Chatterer, I think they were a little bit <clears> hit <throat> and miss for me. They just, yeah, they felt more like a, a Power Rangers villain than anything else. Yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, it annoyed me a little bit they did but I mean Cenobites all round I think it's a cool concept so I'm not going to tear into them too much but basically Kirsty explains to Pinhead that Frank has escaped and using him as a bargaining chip she offers offers to take them to him in order to save herself because they're after Kirsty because they come after those who have opened the puzzle box Pinhead says to Kirsty that if she cheats him the best line as well ever he will tear her soul apart from this no point pressure. on, we cut back. <laughs> the stakes are pretty high for, for Paul Kirsty at this point. So, cutting back to the house, Julia tells Larry that she has something to show him as he comes home from work. Julia and Larry then have a really bloody sexual romp on the bed, leading us to believe that, that Larry's now taking care of Frank and sort of put an end to all this upstairs. Kirsty frantically arrives back at the house, and Larry tells Kirsty that he's done frank in basically he's been like it's over don't worry about it i've put an end to it frank's dead 
And strangely enough, Kirsty's like, I want to see the body. I don't know why she would want to do this. Because he's acting weird as fuck. I was like, that's Frank. Like, straight away, I was just like... Yeah, but she doesn't know this, and she doesn't of seem to click does. on it's at all. Of course she does, it's her dad. Well, to be fair. Yeah, but she doesn't, does like, she? She's how very... how fucking thick are you, Kirsty? How fucking yeah. thick are you? <laughs> yeah, so she wants to see the body. So she sees the body, and then while she's in the loft again, the Cenobites make a return. Kirsty makes a run for it before... <sighs> Larry finally confronts who he actually is and basically says, come to daddy once again. <laughs> and it's weird. It's weird. And this time it's even weirder because he's wearing a dad's face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now we all know that it's Frank. And as Frank tries to grab hold of Kirsty, he accidentally stabs Julia and shows no remorse about it whatsoever. So I was a bit confused by that because I was like, did he do that accidentally? Because he was like, I, I thought, Initially, yeah, that was an accident. And then the way he was after it, I was like, did he mean it? Did he mean it? <laughs> no, he didn't mean to, I don't think. But once he'd done it, he'd, I don't think he necessarily he like, oh, gave man. a shit. Yeah. Just what, is, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> She's definitely going to hell. Yeah. And he leaves her dead on the stairs. And then we get a bit of cat and mouse between Frank and Kirsty before he finally appears behind her on the landing. As she walks backwards into this bedroom away from him, she finds her dad's, well, what she now knows to be her dad's body and not Frank's on the floor. And, and the Cenobites return once more for Frank. This is really cool because all the hooks and everything come flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the scene we saw at the beginning where Frank gets taken to hell from the Cenobites we get, to, we, although we got it suggested at the beginning, we actually get to see it play out this time around. So the hooks come flying in from all angles, and this time we finally get to see Frank taken down. I mean, we see it early on in the opening credits, but we don't really. It's just sort of suggested towards how brutal this attack is. But this time around, we get to see it in all its glory. Yeah. What did you think to this at the end? I mean, because you haven't I, really been on board throughout for this. So where are you uh, now? I mean, I, mean I, cool. I really liked the way that like his face pulled apart. And then fucking Frank, creepy to the end, he's like, licking yeah, his lips. Yeah, licking his lips. I was like, and... you're fucking creep. But I, <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I really liked it, especially that bit, like I said, the bit with his face. And his face was, like, all stretched and stuff. Like I said, I mean, the practical effects in this are fucking amazing. Like, especially for, what was it, the 1987? 87, I think yeah. we are. I think we are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah no, I, I really like this bit, yeah. For me, I think this is where it should have ended. I feel like this should have been the moment where the Cenobites just floated off into the distance. They took Frank with them and they left Kirsty and all the mess with dead Julia. <laughs> However, it's not. We get an additional five minutes of the Cenobites trying to chase Kirsty around the house. I mean, I guess it makes a little bit of sense that being the hellish creatures that they are, they would not be willing to let her go, even though they'd mm. given them Frank. But still, for me, it just it felt very tacked on. I didn't... I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't like it. And also we get a brief scene of Julia laid on the bed with now hooks in her face pulled back and she's holding the puzzle box on the bed. It annoyed me a little bit that they didn't focus more on this and how she became, because at the moment we'd seen how she was, she was sort of like half dead on the staircase. And then the next moment we see her, she's got the puzzle box and she's, she's peeled back on the bed, but yeah, she plays like, she plays a very, very pivotal role in part two. Like she's pretty much the main antagonist throughout that film. And I feel like the, the reason, they should have spent more time focusing on how she became it, like she's clearly made a latch ditched attempt to sell her soul in order to get some sort of continuation of her life. And it, and it, I feel like mm -hmm. that, that was important to telling this story. They didn't. And, 
again, this just comes back to things that annoy me as we went through that they didn't touch upon. Pinhead appears behind Kirsty and he says the iconic line, We have such sights to show you. And her reaction is one of the best in this entire film. She just turns around and goes, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of this, Oh fuck, I'm running away, creaming or not, crying. Not Kirsty like, underreacting. <laughs> <laughs> the most pinhead voice you can hear, and he says, "We have such sights to show you." She mm. literally looks at him and goes, "Oh shit!" <laughs> she manages to get all of the puzzle box, and I don't know how, but she she must have just been redoing what she did the first time around, and they all sort of start disappearing one by one, and that's it really. They leave the house. I mean, Steve, her partner, turns up to try and help, and I like how he tries to grab the box off her to sort it out, and she's like, "Now nah, back up, I've got this." <laughs> But she gets rid of all the Cenobites, she leaves the house, and she stumbles upon some sort of burning, homeless little rockery outside, and she throws the puzzle box in. And this is when we get the return of the homeless man throughout. He comes in, he walks into the fire, he picks up the, the box, and turns into some sort of demon, skeleton, bird thing, and flies away. The final closing scene we get is of the man from the beginning looking at somebody else offering to buy the box and he says what is your pleasure sir and that is hellraiser mm-hmm. so now it's time to dive into what you guys thought in this week's three word reviews we wanted them you delivered them it's this week's From the listeners. So this week's first three-word review comes from the underscore Plagueis. And he has said, or she has said, Bible accurate demons. Our second three-word review comes from RK Muse the Writer, and that is six sick Rubik's Cube. Our next one is Sophie underscore the underscore Cenobite. She has said torture <laughs> goths demon. And our final three-word review comes from Scott at the Urun podcast, and his is, let's pin that. Now, the underscore Plagueis is a blog account, a self-proclaimed witch, from what I can gather. R.K.Muse, the writer, is a writer slash meme account. And Sophie, the underscore Cenobite, is an artist slash self-proclaimed vampire. So that's a... A witch and a vampire all in one segment. So there you go, folks. Uh, and obviously, Scott, we all know Scott. Um, <laughs> clearly, Scott has spent too much time on the sand and has forgotten his role on this show. So, Scott, if you're listening, please make sure you make a safe return next week. It would certainly upset a lot of people if you were not to come back in time. I guess you could also say it might break some spirits. <laughs> I told you, I want to play a game. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. The power of Christ compelled you! What have you done to its eyes? Well, it's elevated horror. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. You're going to like it. I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. I was at the slaughterhouse. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh, I know this money, fuck. 
So last week we had Zephod and Katie from Spaceman and the Doll podcast. They came back and absolutely stormed through the quiz, managing to make it all the way to question 14 and walking away with 130 points. Claiming back their throne and long reigning position as season five leaderboard champions. The question is, can you take all that away from them in a latch ditched latch latch ditched <laughs> attempt at broken spirit? Oh, Rules are simple. Ah, you've got this. <laughs> the rules are simple. I mean, come on, you know the drill. There's 15 questions, yeah. no help. 10 points per question. Get one wrong and it's all over, but you can walk away at any time with the points you have. So, are you ready? Mm. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, you got this. You got this. Right. Question number one. Which actor plays Pinhead in Hellraiser 1987? Doug Bradley. That is correct. Well done. Question number two. Who created the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show? Joss Whedon. Well done, 20 points. You're on a roll. Things are going to get a lot harder from here, by the way. I was just warming <laughs> you in nicely. <laughs> right, question number three. In total, how many killers are there across all five screen movies? Give me a second. Your logic could work this, surely. Speak out loud so we can all hear your mental laugh. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. So, Stu and Billy and one. Two was Mrs. Loomis and Mickey. So, four. Um, Three was... What's his fucking name? I don't need his name. It's just a number. Five. Uh, Four was Jill and... What's his name? (laughs) Again. And five was what's her name and what's his name, so nine. Final answer? Yeah. Final answer? I'm just making what? you sca- feck a guess your own franchise, by the way. I know, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, because there was meant to be two killers and three and then it ended up just being her brother. Oh, don't worry about Scott's stupid hypothesis about what could have been or what should have been. I'm just, I'm just talking facts. I'm just Dude. making you guess yourself. <laughs> you got this, don't worry, you got this. <laughs> Three, four, nine. That's correct. Nine, well done. Yeah. So, so <laughs> tell yourself, you know it, you know it. <laughs> don't let me get in your head. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> in screen one, we have Billy and Stu. In screen, <clears throat> screen two, we have Mickey and Debbie. Loomis, obviously. In screen three, we have Roman, and four, we have Jill and Charlie, and in screen five, we have Amber and Richie. And an unseen third killer we all know was Stu Marker. My theories matter, don't discount me. That's it, so three in, 30 points, well done. So, question number four. Can you tell me the name of the actress set to play Wednesday Adams in the upcoming Netflix adaptation? Jenna Ortega. didn't even get to finish the question. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. That's all right, I stumbled there anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was helping you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much for that. That is correct, well done. That is 40 points. So now for my favourite, it is horror, not horror. The quote is, I'm scared to close my eyes, I'm scared to open them. Is that horror, not horror? Horror, not horror, I'm scared to close my eyes. To open them. Horror. Do you know the quote? I, I feel like I recognise it, and that's why I'm like, oh yeah, it's like sounds like something that would be a nightmare on Elm Street. No. 
Are you going not? Are you going horror? Horror, yeah, horror. It is horror. It is horror, and it is actually from the Blair Witch Project. Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah, like a Nightmare on Elm Street thing, which would would have made it sense. Would have been, it would have fit quite well <laughs> in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I'm sure. Question number six: You're on a roll. What did you get last time you were here? <laughs> Two. <laughs> I <laughs> I got the third one wrong. <laughs> oh, well, you're on a right roll then. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six: In total, how many Candyman films are there? I don't need the names of the films. I just need you to tell me how many they are. Uh, I'm really, I'm not that familiar with the franchise. I know there's at least three, but I think there's probably oh, and there, so it must be four then, because there is it three and then the remake. Is that your final answer? Okay, I don't really. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> that is correct. Well done. You have <laughs> Candyman One, the original. You have Candyman Two, which is Farewell to the Flesh. You have Candyman 3, which is an absolute abomination, which is a day of the dead. And then the latest, mm, I'm going to say mediocre, <laughs> reimagining in 2021. So you are now on 60 points. Best score you've ever done on Birth of Spirit. <laughs> Things are only going to get harder from here. I know. So question number seven. Who was Laurie Strode babysitting on Halloween night in 1978 when Michael Myers attacked? Um, fucking, I know his name because uh, he was in Halloween Kills. Uh, give me a second, Tommy. Tommy, I know it. Doyle, Tommy Doyle. I'll take that. I'll take that. I would have taken Tommy Doyle, and I would have also taken Lindsay Wallace. Although Lindsay Wallace was not originally the intended. Uh-huh. She was babysitting Tommy Doyle, <sighs> and then Lindsay Wallace comes over. I so either one I would have taken. Yeah, <laughs> you you love Evil Dice tonight. You love his return <laughs> in Halloween. So that's seventy points. Well done. You're flying through. You're flying through. Scott is going to kick my ass. Most people don't make it past three or four. And since I've been taken over as host, everyone is storming this quiz. <laughs> right. Question number eight. Writer Kevin Williamson is credited for writing the screenplay for the original 1996 screen film. How many other films in the franchise did he write? I'm sure he's done all of them apart from three. He He did the first one. Yep, definitely. He definitely did two. He didn't do three because I know I definitely know he didn't do three. He did four. Did he do five? Wait, then I don't think he did do five, did he? Uh, I, I can't help you. <laughs> you know I can't help you. Why are you asking me? <laughs> I don't think he did five. That's starting to come out of my subconscious somewhere now. Um, I de- like I definitely know he didn't do three. Like I said, okay, I think he did one, three, and four. No, one, two, and four. <laughs> <laughs> After you just said several times, he definitely did three. You've just adamantly told me that he didn't do three. You sure you want to submit is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did do four because that was one of the things that we talked about. Like it missed him. It missed him. Yeah, that. Yeah, okay. One, two, and four. That's correct. He did do one, two, and four. <laughs> Although he did have involvement in five, he didn't 
he didn't do five and yeah. in part three due to scheduling scheduling conflicts he sort of he basically penned a brief script idea and I can't remember the and name of the guy who was who came. I, I think they took it on board, but I just think the guy who came in to then rework it had no prior knowledge of the franchise and just Yeah, let's not talk about screen three. Um, no. question number nine. <laughs> in which movie does Jason Voorhees finally get his famous hockey mask? I've only watched the first three and I think he took it off the shed in the end of three. Yeah, three. Final answer? Yeah. That is correct. Well done. He did. He did gain it in part three. <clears throat> so you are now currently sat on 90 points. That is a very, very solid score for Broken Spirit. You can walk away at any time. Please don't go much further because Scott is not going to be happy when he comes back. <laughs> Let's just call it a day on question 10 and we'll just put it down to two fluke episodes. <clears throat> question number 10. Which of the following horror movies was not based on a novel? You have Psycho, Rosemary's Baby, Hereditary, or The Ring. So which of the following was not based on a novel? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What were the options again? Psycho... I'll repeat the question. Based on the following horror movies, which was not based on a novel? It is either A, Psycho, B, Rosemary's Baby, C, Hereditary, or D, The Ring. The Ring was, I think. I'm sure that Because I was surprised by that. So I think The Ring was, because I'm sure I remember being surprised by that fact. Was Hereditary? I feel like Hereditary was probably not based on a book. I don't know Rosemary's Baby, that's not a movie that I know, but is that... Um, I don't I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to... Obviously I've wrote the question, so I know the answer, yeah. but what I'm saying is if somebody had asked me this based on yeah. the selection of films that I've picked, I don't know how I would how I, I would know, calculate which I know one Psycho, without knowing. Psycho was, right? Uh, sorry, I know that I'm asking you like you're going to answer that. I can't answer. give you the answer Psych- to that. <laughs> Psycho was, I think, I'm pretty sure The Ring was because I'm sure I remember being surprised. It was like, it was because it was Japanese first, wasn't it? Um, I feel like the least likely to have been based on the book is Hereditary, and I, I'm not going to walk away. I'd rather just answer that. Oh, um, so you're going to gamble? Yeah. Go for it, final answer, Hereditary? Yeah. That's correct, well done. That was good, that was good, that was good process of elimination. <laughs> was that just purely based on the fact that that was the most... I think it was between that and Rosemary's Baby, and that seemed like something, not that I'm that familiar with it, but I've seen Hereditary and I'm like, I don't think that was based on a book. No, well, you are correct. Hereditary is not. Hereditary is written and directed by Ari Astor, um, who did, obviously, Midsummer and all the rest of it. Right. You are now on 100 points. Very, very solid score. Please walk away with this score. Question number 11. (laughs) How many films are there in the Puppet Master series? I've never even fucking heard of that. Puppet Master. Oh, I have no idea. I yeah, don't know. It's a proper dog shit film franchise. <laughs> so, unfortunately, there's no multiple choice on this question. You either know it or you don't. Are you and sure you don't, don't want to give me multiple choice? No, I don't know. No, I would love to. I, I, would I would love to be able to give you multiple choice on this one, but unfortunately, I used my multiple choice on the last question. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am. Um, like 
If I, I don't, I don't like to walk away. I'd rather just answer, but I don't, I don't have any fucking idea, so I'm gonna have to walk away because it would just be. If it, well, if the I thing was... is, what you're going to do is you've got to think about it like this: you either take a guess and risk it all, and go down to zero once again, or you walk away on a hundred points. You know what, if I've not heard of it, I'm like, is it because there wasn't many of them? Which will most likely put you in second place on Broken Spirit leaderboard. I'm, I'm okay with not being like i mean I'm, I'm my current like um you know legacy did you walk away last time <clears throat> no that's why i don't want to walk away oh so you ended um, up on zero like me and scott yeah well do you not remember we ended up um together in an episode <laughs> and we got like nothing together oh we did um, yes so this is for both of us. You can take this for me and you. Put my name on the leaderboard because I wrote the questions. <laughs> Please like put me would... on the leaderboard somewhere. I feel like there would be like, I don't know. If it's, is it, I can't ask you any questions, can I? I'm like, is it like a normal So you can speak thing? out loud though. I'm not going to answer you, but you can speak out loud and I can. I feel like a, a normal franchises have got somewhere between three and five movies. So it's either, I'm gonna, I would say either three, five, or six. Okay, I'm gonna get five. Six. Are you sure you wanna seven. do that? You sure you don't wanna walk away, you You sure you don't wanna walk away? <laughs> uh, oh god, I literally have no idea. No, I'm, do you know what? I'm just gonna take my points and walk away because I have no idea. That's if a wise was, decision to do. I'm not gonna push five. you any further. No. I would have said five or six. This crap fest has 15 films in its, <laughs> its catalogue. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. You've never heard of the... Uh, the I can't say it myself now. You've never, <laughs> you've never heard of the Puppet Master series. Never. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them, to be honest with you, but I know there is a lot. These are like straight to DVD shite. Never heard of it. But no, I was, I was going to say either three, five or six. Yeah, well, you would have lost all your points and ended up on zero. So you do well to walk away with 100 points. As I say, I'm only temporary host, so I don't currently have the stats in front of me. But I think that's going to put you pretty solidly from what I can remember throughout the season. I think that puts you in second place behind... It might either put you in second place or it might put you in third place. Horror Review Girl, Elise. 100 points, second place. As I said last week, there is one more person to take on Broken Spirit before we end the quiz and start our new one. That person is me, as I take on Broken Spirit on next week's edition of News. That's after our show next week on News. I will take on Broken Spirit one final time. That's but we will find zero. out. <laughs> we will find out, hopefully, when Scott returns <laughs> next week and has, has a more sophisticated way of dealing with this show. So... That is it for this week's Broken Spirits. It's now into facts. It's time to find out what you know about this movie and what we know. It's facts. So, first fact is, when Clive Barker first showed this film to his mother, she cried tears of joy upon seeing her son's name in the opening credits. He leaned Aww. over to her. <laughs> yeah, cute, right? He leaned over to her and whispered that that would be the happiest she would be for the next two hours. 
<laughs> Which, to be fair, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I bet that was true also. So my next fact is Doug Bradley was originally offered the role of the mattress movers at the beginning or the lead centibite. Ooh. So do you know early on at the beginning when those guys were helping Larry move the yeah, mattress? Yeah, and she would get them beer. Yeah, so it was basically either he had the choice between playing Pinhead as a lead centre by or playing one of the mattress movers. And Doug Bradley actually nearly turned it down because he was like, well, I'm going to be in heavy makeup and prosthetics as a centre by. I'd rather be, as a, as a budding mm-hmm. actor, be, be seen on face of the film. And he almost turned down the role, so... There we go. A simple split decision could have changed this film altogether. Crazy. And again, I've just pressed something weird and lost all my notes. Scott's going to kill me for the amount of editing he's going to have to do on this. <laughs> it's all right. We give him something to do when he gets home off his holiday. Scott loves editing. <laughs> he actually said to me, he actually looks forward to it, which is a strange thing to want to do. What a gift to come home to. I do love editing, but this episode, come on, man, you could do better. Do better. I suppose this will be exciting for him because he won't have had to listen to this and then go have... Like, if I'd have done this, knowing that I'd said everything and then had to go back and listen yeah, to it again, yeah, that would annoy me. But at least this one, he's never heard it before. Yeah. So cut this bell, please, Scott. Uh, no. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> Andrew Robinson, who played Larry, actually convinced Clive Barker to replace the line... Um, Fuck you, with the now iconic line of Jesus wept. So when... Frank, although he's Larry's skin, the actor who plays Larry is now personifying Frank, mm-hmm, if you will. Mm-hmm. When he gets strung up on the hooks and he says the line, Jesus wept, do you know where he's licking his lips and stuff? Mm-hmm. The original scripted line was just a, a standard fuck you. But it was actually the mm-hmm. actor who turned around and was like, oh, no, 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 this will be much better. Let's do Jesus wept. And I think that works pretty cool. I think that's a really, really cool touch to add to that. So, I mean, the guy that played Frank only actually played him, like, right at the start, right? I mean... And in the flashbacks, yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't actually playing Frank very much. I mean, most of we see no. that we see Frank is when he's, like, got no skin and stuff, which is somebody else, and then at the end, he's Larry. Interesting. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. But he does, again, he's back in part two, which oh. is a much better... It's a much better film. Um... Claire Higgins, who plays Julia, hates horror movies. And when she saw this movie for the first time at the premiere, she had to leave after 10 minutes because it freaked her out so much. Oh, wow. I can only assume that this was based on her acting alone because the first 10 minutes of this film has nothing graphic or gratuitous in it. It is literally just a soap opera. So she must have been mortified by what she'd seen from her and the rest of the cast and thought, now, nah, fuck this, this is embarrassing. She, she's watching that bit where she's thinking about sexy time with Frank and she's like oh (laughs) most probably yeah the thing is about her as well it's a shame because she comes back in part two but as an overall franchise arc she was supposed to play a much more pivotal role she comes back and she's the main antagonist in part two and I can only assume that they signed a a two contract deal where she maybe signed on for the sequel at the same time as signed on for this one but then dropped out at the end of the second but she was supposed to go on and play like one of the princesses of, of the hell world who would then become the leader of the Cenobites based on just a, being a conniving, nasty, nasty piece of work. And if you watch part two, you can see how that's going to unfold and how it would become that 
that conclusion. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame that her as an actress dropped out and, and the franchise descended into what it did, really, because that would have been a much cooler direction to take it all in. Sean Cunningham, who plays Frank, uh, his entire dialogue was dubbed over by another actor. I mean, we spoke about this in yeah. the in the review section already. He's furious to this day about what they'd done. Fair. And rightly so. I mean, if you'd have been given the opportunity to play a character like this in a film like this, and then all of a sudden you'd been stripped back to literally just being a face on screen, you, yeah. you'd be mortified, wouldn't you? <clears throat> I mean, it's a different performance then as well, isn't it? It's like when we talk about watching a movie in a foreign language with either subtitles or uh, being dubbed. And like, I remember this particular conversation about Squid Game and like they were saying, like you you lose a lot of the performance when you dub something over because it's a different person, isn't it? And like a lot of performance does come from the vocals. So yeah, yeah, I would I would any day rather watch anything in subtitles than I would watch anything overdubbed. See, I had this I... same argument about Wreck. Wreck is one of my all time favorite zombie horror films. And when Tasha and Angel from Voices of the Mausoleum came on, Tasha could only find the dubbed version rather than mm-hmm. the subtitled version. I was like, listen, you really, really need to go back and find the subtitled version because you will get a much more impactful performance from the actors than you will watching something mm-hmm. overdubbed. Well, remember we it spoke just... about that with Martyrs as well because I watched yeah, the exactly, yeah. version. I, I mean, it was the only one I could find, but I, um, I, I mean, I find it difficult to kind of keep up with subtitles as well. But I've, I've like, especially recently, if I often watch things in my bed and, you know, the telly is a bit smaller than when I'm in the living room. And I can't, like, I'm having a problem, I've had a bit of a problem with my eyesight, and I just, like, can't read the subtitles that as well, so I tend to prefer dubbed, but I guess... Yeah, you see, that... it's weird, like, I, I have the similar sort of thing, but I don't have it when it's a foreign language film, so mm. when it's a foreign language film, I will insist that it's subtitles rather than mm-hmm. dubbed, but when I'm watching something on Netflix, like, my wife, she insists that she has subtitles on, on an English-speaking program, mm-hmm. so she can sit and watch Friends, but she'll have the subtitles on while she's watching it, I'm like, this is driving me mad. Yeah. Why does this need to be on here? It's because you get distracted by it, right? And then you're like, I'm reading the yeah. subtitles, but I know. But when it's like, a foreign language film, I just sort of yeah. When it's yeah. a foreign language film, I just sort of don't. Although I mean, we Pan's went to Labyrinth, cinema. And... I watched that with subtitles. Definitely, I love. Yeah, Pan's I mean, there's so many others. Like we went to see Parasite in the cinema, and you had the option oh, yeah. to be able to watch Parasite in both English dubbed, or you could watch it in subtitles. And we watched mm. the subtitle version, obviously. But it's like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's more just a case of when it's the English dub. It just, it, it just, it, I don't know. It doesn't seem to sit well with me, I don't think. But mm-hmm. speaking of dub, my next fact actually is that New World Productions originally considered overdubbing Doug Brackley um, with an American actor. So Pinhead was going to be performed. Oh. So although Pinhead is using an actual English accent, they, they were, well, I mean, he says, I don't know. Would you consider that an English accent? People don't doesn't... order a pint of beer like that, do they? No. It doesn't really have... I didn't, didn't really notice an accent, actually, to be honest. I didn't really notice any form of accent with him either. I think no. it's so it's so otherworldly the way he speaks. Yeah. There isn't any form of of continental dialect from him. So, so I'd, I, they considered doing it, but then they watched Bill Bradley perform, and then they decided against the idea. So I can understand why they, they didn't. But my final fact comes from the the poor quality CGI, the closing act when the Cenobites disperse. And it's mm-hmm. like a weird yellow sort of, I mean, it's terrible. It's really, really terrible. This was actually down to, this was done by Clive Barker and 
He's literally credited it, credited it, credited it. I did this last week, man. I got, I got, <laughs> I got lost for about ten minutes on flirtatious. So I'm gonna do the same thing this week on credited it. Credited did, credited did, credited, credited, <laughs> credited. So Clyde Parker explains that very due to very limited budget and there's no money left in the pro that he had to basically do it himself with the help of a Greek guy. And that is literally it. He's just credited as Greek guy. And they animated these scenes over one night. And to be fair, Clyde Barker's pretty proud of what what they managed to achieve in in a night. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't think it was too bad. Although I was uh, immediately noticed and be like, oh, this is fucking shocking. I didn't Mm -hmm. think at any point that it was worthy enough to, to trash the rest of the film for no, I don't really notice. <laughs> so all that effort you spent that weekend, you didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for the listeners' scores. So the listeners this week have scored this on average an 8.5 out of 10. And to be fair to this film, there was a lot more 10 out of 10s than I was expecting. The 8.5 just comes on average, not necessarily as you would imagine. So there was at least a good sort of six or seven people who who have have solidly scored this a 10 out of 10, which brings me nicely into this week's roundups. For me, under the latest watch of A Critical Eye, it really made me pay much more closer attention to the strengths of the storytelling and the detail that goes into character development throughout the course of this film. Something that's always been overlooked by me as a viewer. I've seen this film, I must say, eight, nine, possibly 10 times now. And every time I've watched this, as Mia and Lise mentioned earlier, I always found myself getting lost in the in the messiness of the of the earlier production of the film. This time around and taking notes and piercing everything together and making sure that I've picked up on every story point, it's actually really, really well constructed and really, really well developed in terms of characters and story. I have to feel like a lot of this comes down to Clive Bike Clive Bikers, Clive Barker's writing. Being a big practical lover. There's not a bad word I can say about the practical effects used in this film. Everything looks outstanding, from the blood and the gore, from the costume and makeup design as the center bites. Don't get me wrong, there's some wonky CGI at the end, but again, it's serviceable, but serviceable enough for me. I didn't, I didn't find any problems with it. It didn't necessarily strike me as something that was out of out of place within the rest of the film. The acting. Again, I found pretty solid across the board. I mean, most of these actors and actresses that are involved in this film are of thespian actors that come from theatre backgrounds, they certainly shows that the theatre-style actors, the way they perform a lot of the dialect and, and the way they carry themselves on screen, you can tell a lot of them have a theatre-style background, but I didn't necessarily have a problem with any of them. I know you mentioned earlier, Elise, that you didn't necessarily mm. like Ashley Lauren, but for me, I think she's great, and I think she holds herself well, especially with part two as a back-to-back piece, as a very strong final girl in terms of the rest of the stuff like Sydney Prescott and Laurie Strode and uh, and all the rest of them you throw at her, I think, I think she's very underrated. I think my biggest gripes with this film don't necessarily come with the film itself. I think it falls more with studio interference, such as the overdubbing for a lot of the actors. I think it's very criminal. I think Clive Barker should have been left to, to develop his vision and, and, 
although I have issues with a lot of the cinematography and, and directing style, I have to say for, for a first time director, this is, this is much better than, than most that we've seen. I think really based on my overall issues with the dubbing and the slight problems that I have with Clive Barker as a director, the highest I'd be willing to go with this would be an 8.5 out of 10, but I'd, I want to score it higher based on this latest rewatch. Like <clears throat> I really, really enjoyed everything that I'd seen this time around. I just the the things that were done by the studio and the involvement that they had. I can't help but feel annoyed by, by the overall end product because of that reason. Um, but, but again, 8.5 is a solid score for a first-time director and, and a, and a, and a first-time sort of outing for, for a story like this in, a, in, a, in this franchise that went on to spawn 10 films. So, I mean, where, where are you at with this, Elise? What do you think? You, this is a first-time watch for you, so this must be very wildly jarring for you to hear me say that this is an 8.5. Yeah, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own scores and, like, mine... I'm here to be honest about my thoughts on the film. I know that a lot of people love this movie a lot. Like I said a lot of people gave it 10, but for me, um, you know what it's like? It's like a first impression. I'm not saying the start of the movie needs to be the best of the movie, but for me to really struggle to actually get through the first 20 minutes, like I said, if it hadn't been for us reviewing it, I wouldn't have watched the film. I think the 20 minutes was first 20 minutes or so was so off-putting. Um, it's like a first impression kind of lasts and much as the rest of the movie got better, like you said, the story is actually very good. Pinhead was really cool um, and the female Cenobite was cool. The others were a bit meh to me. Um, the acting, for the most part, was good. There was some, I mean, it's probably, it probably is mostly Kirsty. Uh, I don't know. It, it, the, the practical effects also were amazing, but I, I think there was parts where I was, like I said, I was just confused and there was a few parts, there, there was a few scenes that just didn't really have much to them. Um, for me, it's probably about six out of ten, which is me being generous, actually. That, to be fair, that's a lot higher than I expected you to give this, yeah. to be honest. I do, I do think that's a lot higher than I expected you to give this. I, I mean, think when I first watched this, my first watch, I would have been struggling to push a five out of ten for this. I think for me, like five, I'm like, it was five was average. Obviously, five is in the middle, so yeah, it's average. And I think, yeah, I mean, it is, you, you can't take away from it the practical effects. I think that if they weren't as good as they were, then this movie would have been way, way lower. Um, but it was, it was a bit above average. So that's why I would, I mean, six, yeah, it is generous, five and a half or six, but six. Yeah, I think what my recommendation to you would be to go and watch part two. Part two expands a lot more on on the law and, and well, if my main Kirsty girl Julia back. is going to be in it, exactly, and she kicks ass in that, and it Julia's it really does expand on everything. It it gives a lot more answers to questions that are left unanswered in part one. And I think in terms of horror films, there's not many franchises that have a great part one and part two back to back whereas mm -hmm. Hellraiser is one of those films now where I watch and I immediately have to go into part two and watch part two this the only other films that I know do this very very well is obviously Halloween one and two they pick up on the same night that's fantastic uh the descent when you mm. get the way that unfolds and the way that you get the ending of you that like film. you like the second descent I <laughs> 
fucking hell, we could talk about that for hours. But I am, <laughs> I am one of those criminal people who actually does quite enjoy the Descent Part Two, all for I... all its sins. Um, but again, that again is a is a companion piece. You can't help but watch Part One and then roll right oh, into yeah. Part Two. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like Hellraiser One and Hellraiser Two does that better than most. Okay. So. Even though you've been a bit sort of withdrawn from part one, I would strongly recommend that you see part two and, and, and see if it maybe amplifies your experience of the first. Um, but yeah, that is, that's it. That's it. That wraps us up quite nicely. So next week we will be back with another host choice. This time it's going to be Scott Selection as we take a trip deep south as we tackle all things hillbillies, log cabins and wood chippers. That's right, we are reviewing one of horror comedy's finest, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Fingers crossed Scott will be making a safe return back to the UK and he will be back with us for that episode. Also, we will be ex- introducing all the new and exciting features we have lined up for you for the remainder of Season 6, including our brand new quiz. Um, <gasps> yes, very exciting. I'm glad to see the back of Broken Spirits. That's all I'm going to say on that. Don't forget, uh, don't forget <clears throat> to head over and listen to us on Newsweek, where we leave the right running after this episode and talk all things life and the rest of the news that is out there for us. Um, once again, thank you all for listening. You guys are awesome. Go and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can find us. Please tell a friend. And thank you once again, Elise, for stopping by. You can find Elise on Instagram at Horror Review Girl. And you can also now find her as the host of the You Run podcast YouTube channel. Obviously over on YouTube. And tell us a little bit about what goes on over there. What goes on on YouTube? Oh, YouTube's a lot of fun. Um, So every month, apart from when Scott's jetting off to Turkey, we do a review of a movie which is voted for in the polls on my Instagram page now. So... um, selection of movies you vote which one you want us to review uh we do top 10s as well our latest top 10 was top 10 movies streaming on netflix and disney so if you're ever struggling to find a movie to watch you can always watch that video um but we've also we also do some solo videos now as well so little mini reviews um i did an uh episode about the buffy reboot that's been proposed so that's probably been my i watched that i really liked that episode that was cool yeah. that was cool i like yeah, that a lot. I like um, that a lot. I mean, I could talk about Buffy fucking all day. So anyway, uh, yeah, so lots of... Lots <laughs> I was of surprised you managed to narrow it down to 10 minutes, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably because it was about the reboot where there's not much information out there about it. If it was, it was just about the normal series, it would have been about fucking three hours long. <laughs> but yeah, YouTube's got loads of different things, but um, every month you're going to see a review and a top 10 video of some description. Fantastic. So yeah, if you don't already, please go like and subscribe over on the You Run Podcast YouTube channel. And if you like everything you have heard here and you like everything you hear over on YouTube, you can also check into the You Run Podcast True Crime channel, which features co-host Heather Silman from Wednesday Wine and Horror. They dive into all things serial killers and factual nasties. It's a fantastic show and a lot a lot more um informative and serious than we are here that is unless <laughs> that is unless heather gets on one of their singing montages like she usually does but yes please <laughs> check us out across the board we really appreciate it and wherever you can like subscribe follow and share it as much as you can much appreciated and that's all for this week guys and we will see you next week bye before you forget 
You wanna die tonight? Hypochondriac with asthma is in there. I just lose all sense of equilibrium and I don't know what's happening. I'm gonna say 9 out of 10. Always enjoy watching it every time. Windmills were fire hazardous. You literally used the paycheck to pay for a house, that's all it was for. Meeting someone for the first time, you wouldn't be talking like that. But he was so stoned, he'd like half fallen asleep. You and Tasha are meant to be, y'all figured that shit out. <laughs> I just got fired yesterday, I'm free. I swear to God, I'm gonna stick that wolf <laughs> up your asshole.